0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to another opening day edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And that's the great thing about Major League Baseball opening day. It's a bit staggered, so it's kind of like you know a weekend-long birthday birthday celebration. It's not just one day. So yesterday was opening day. We had three good games to watch, and uh, now we've got something close to a full slate for today, Monday. And uh, with me to celebrate and and break it all down is Jim Finch, also from FanRag Sports. So Jim, uh, happy opening day to you.
1: Happy opening day to you too, Al.
0: Yeah, have you been uh, watching Braves, Mets, or I've been watching mostly uh, Marlins, Nats, but kind of switching back and forth.
1: I mostly get Mets and Yankees here. Get the occasional Phillies and Braves game, whatever I can, whatever happens to be on TV that day. But mostly the local teams.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know the the schedule is starting to. Open up a bit. We just had those two 1 o'clock Eastern games. And the uh, Nationals, by the way, just got on the board in that one just a minute or two ago on a Bryce uh, Harper solo home run. So they, uh, the Nats have closed that down to a 2-1 game. But, it's yeah, so far pitching's been the story of uh, this opening day. Nice performance from Edson Volquez so far. Uh, Colorado-Milwaukee, we've got a score there, 2-0 on a, a Mark Reynolds home run. But otherwise, it's just been pitching, pitching, pitching. Uh, Braves-Mets are scoreless. So a uh, little bit different than yesterday. The first game, uh, the Rays kind of beat up on the Yankees, uh, put seven on the board. So I'm sure we'll have some scoring uh, later. We'll, we'll uh, check back with these games and keep tabs on them. We'll also take a look at lineups, uh, a little bit of weather even. And then, uh, you know, at the same time, <laughs> take a look at uh, the games from yesterday and a little bit of the action from today and, and look ahead too. And Jim, you wrote a piece – on two-star pitchers, and I realize to review that now when lineups have locked in a lot of leagues, uh, might be a, a bit late. But there are a number of two-star pitchers that don't go until tomorrow. So later on the show, I definitely want to take a look at a sample of some of those pitchers for those who do have rolling uh, lineup blocks, maybe a chance to reevaluate those pitchers. Uh, but let's uh, start with the, the recent news. Steven Piscotti... Uh, has uh, agreed to a deal with the Cardinals, a six-year deal. And so this is just on the heels of the Yadier Molina extension. So Piscotty's deal is 33.5 million guaranteed, with an option and some other incentives that could bump that uh, total up actually to more than 50 million dollars. Seems like a good deal for the Cardinals, just to, even if uh, Piscotty is who he was last year. You know, I think if he's just that player more or less, for each of the next six years. That's that's a great deal. Uh, but do you think there's more there for Piscotty, for, for fantasy owners? Do you think just from this year alone that there's some part of his game, whether it's the home runs, the batting average, something else? Uh, do you see a more upside for Piscotti?
1: Uh Probably a little bit more upside with the batting average. I mean, I can see him having a floor of a two hundred eighty, possibly a three hundred hitter. I'm, I'm not going to say he's Joey Votto, but he does have that elite contact, low strikeout, high walk kind of hitter to where he could, he, I see him as a stable bat in the lineup. So a 280, 20 home run season, I can see as a floor, maybe a 300 hitter, 25 home runs for a good season, but for the money they got, they definitely got a bargain compared to someone like Jason Hayward.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's given what Harrod has given the the Cubs, that's, you know, not, uh, you know, maybe the highest bar to set, but but absolutely, uh, you know, a great, great deal. And, you know, you you bring up uh, something interesting, I think, with Piscati's profile, at least, you know, when I think of him and I think of, you know, what what is sort of interesting about him and and something of a mystery. Like you said, coming up through the minors, he profiled this guy who was not necessarily going to be a very good power hitter but didn't strike out very much. But it seems like he's taken, and maybe this is not coincidence, Jim, it seems like he's kind of taken the Matt Carpenter route, where last year he became much more of a, of a power hitter with those 22 home runs, um, pulled the ball much more than he did in his rookie season. So you know, it's, there seemed to be some sort of conscious approach there for, for to to go more for power and maybe sacrifice batting average. So, you know, you talk about the fact that there's some power there, but that maybe he has the potential to be a 300 hitter. Or like you said, I think you said a floor of 280. And it seems like he's going to have to pick a lane, but we don't know which one he's going to pick. You know, I'm not sure he can have it both ways, but I'd certainly love to see him cut that strikeout rate back down towards those really low rates he had in the minors, walk a little more and maintain the power. And then, then you'd have an absolute beast, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see where it goes. With Biscotti. Uh, Going uh, over to the Nationals, um, Anthony Rendon not in the lineup uh, for today's game against the Marlins. So that calf injury, it didn't look really great for him. Dusty Baker wouldn't commit to Rendon being available for opening day, and it turns out he's not. Um, What do you think going forward here? Are you concerned, Jim, that uh, this could be a nagging injury for Rendon or do you think that this is just a, a precautionary move?
1: Uh, it's pretty much got the injury when he got hit with the ball, so I don't see that as being normal. If he, if he had the injury running out of ball, he got it on the field, I'd be concerned, but considering he got it with being hit by the ball, I think it's just a bruise. It's something that's just nagging and maybe like a week at most before you see him back in there. Maybe it'll be another week before he's back up to full strength. But overall, I'm not really too concerned about Rendon from a fantasy standpoint. I think if you have him, there's plenty of options out there on waivers for you to pick mm-hmm. up a quick fill-in.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Third base is very deep. So um, if you were concerned going into week two that uh, you know maybe he was being affected, you, you could look there. But yeah, I, I'd say as of right now, barring – uh, you know, development. I don't expect where Rendon's out for most of this week, or he comes back and and is just not hitting the ball at the authority that uh, we're accustomed to. That um, you know, I, I would feel safe starting Rendon for week two. But that's you know, it's a week away, so we got a long time to figure that out. Uh, also, at the Nationals too, with this game, Adam Eaton with all the injuring, uh, um, injury rather and kind of the hand rigging that was going on about Dusty Baker's batting orders. In the end, he had to eat batting second for opening day. So uh, did we maybe uh, get a little too uh, panicked about uh, Eaton's uh, place in the batting order? Are you worried about that going forward? Or uh you, know, you feel pretty good about Eaton, uh, Eaton's value?
1: I always assumed he would hit near the top of the lineup. I mean, and I know Dusty Baker can be kind of flaky when it comes to where he puts guys, but I always assumed he'd bat lead off seconds just as good as long as he's near the top of the lineup he's going to get the runs he's going to get the stolen bases so overall I think if you were worried about him and you passed on him you're probably going to regret it if you took a chance on Eaton then you're going to be extremely happy for the fantasy season
0: yeah well on yesterday's show uh with Greg Jewett you know we were talking about how batting orders change and and you shouldn't overreact and there are actually two cases where I, I did just that in my final draft, which was on Friday, and I passed up Eaton as my third outfielder. I wound up with O'Double Herrera, and I kind of wind up uh, blanketing those those guys, or, or you know, putting them in the same bucket. Um, I think they're very similar, but I think Eaton with a, a spot higher up in the order, you know, I definitely give him the edge over Herrera, and I, I didn't do that. And then I did pursue Logan Forsythe, who now appears is going to be in a batter, bat lower in the order. Than it originally appeared, Uh, but I, you know, I think it's a a lesson a lesson learned for me that you shouldn't react. You know, I shouldn't have overreacted when I was drafting, and I shouldn't overreact now because these things could change five times over. Um, You know, so we'll 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 see how it all all pans out. We'll get back to some other lineup uh, related news in a moment, but uh, Roberto Osuna, we talked about in yesterday's show, uh, going on the new ten day DL with the uh, neck issue. He is expected back, according to MLB.com, after the minimum 10 days. So with that new, shorter, disabled list, there's that, that possibility that you know, you can lose a player just before uh, a scoring period starts and have them back for all or, or most of the next one. Um, do you still think it's worth pursuing either uh, Joe Biagini or Jason Grilly, or is this news encouraging enough, Jim, that uh, you just don't worry about the Blue Jay situation?
1: It's early enough to worry. I wouldn't worry about the Blue jay situation or saves in general. I mean, as going to – he's only going to be out for a week or two. You're, if you pick up Grilly, you're only going to get maybe a save, two saves. You don't know what kind of ERA or whip you're going to get with that, but it's not going to be horrible. But it's not worth dropping anybody on your roster to try and fill it in for. I mean, there's plenty of time throughout the year. You'll have – a number of closers between now and April, at least half a dozen more that will lose their jobs. You can pick up more saves there. So I, it's pretty much all about nothing with this one. Just <laughs> I
0: with absolutely what you have. And- yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think you, if you have acted on it, you know, then you wait and see, but I don't think there, I don't think this is a situation that you have to go run out and, and pick, pick up and speculate on a replacement. And that's the other thing too, that's complicated that John Gibbons said that he may go with either one of those, uh, Options either Grilly or Be a Genie, so that just complicates it further. Uh, let's go back, as I promised, to some of the lineup issues. Uh, Xander Bogarts batting sixth for the Red Sox today uh, against the Pirates, and uh, on the other side of the ledger, there Gregory Polanco batting cleanup, but he's going to be uh, DHing. For the Pirates now, do you have any concern about either with Polanco? The concern is more that he's dealing with the, the uh, sore shoulder. Um, obviously, it's a good thing to have him batting cleanup, but uh, are you you worried about either Bogarts or Polanco because of their respective issues?
1: Um, not I'm not really concerned that much at all. At that, I mean Bogarts. I was more concerned about the loss of Ortiz. I mean, last year he had an obscene amount of runs. And without that kind of protection in the lineup, I think he's going to take a hit there. But as far as the injury goes, as far as anything with him goes, I'm not worried about that. Um, who is? was oh, oh,
0: with the, the shoulder.
1: Planco, know. his shoulder. He has the speed. So even if the power isn't there, if the power is sapped a little bit in the beginning because of the shoulder, he still has the speed. He should, still should be able to hit for average. And as far as as far as far uh, batting cleanup, Maybe they just shuffled the lineup because of the DH situation. They, they're uh, able to afford moving people around. I can see him batting back second again regularly throughout the season.
0: Yeah, you know, and granted, they had a DH spot to fill there in Boston. But I actually take the fact that Polanco's in the lineup as a as a positive sign, and hopefully, he just doesn't aggravate that injury. It's uh, not supposed to be serious. Uh, the Pirates are just trying to be uh, careful with Polanco. So I'm not too worried about him. Um, And Bogarts, I have to say, it it, it concerns me a little bit batting sixth because once you get out of those top five spots, it really does tend to have an impact on your run production. But again, to to follow my own advice from earlier in the show, uh, I'm not going to get too worked up about a batting order for for one game. I think that 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 could be very fluid. And um, Tyler Saladino, leading off for the White Sox. That's uh, a bit of a surprise, although he has batted second for them uh, quite a bit in the past. But does that give you any more interest in Saladino, at least in, uh, I don't think in a 12-team league, necessarily, but maybe 14, 15-team league? Does that give you more interest in him as a potential run producer?
1: Um, a little bit. I mean, Saladino... I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent on him. I mean, I I like him. I like the player. I'm not sure if I trust the player. So, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of torn on where to go with him right now.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it all depends, too, on when Yohan Moncada comes up or if, you know, maybe Todd Frazier's move because I could see that happening with the White Sox being in, in a seller's mode and that making Saladino, you know, a more... Attractive long-term option, but I would say, and, and something I don't know about deeper, long-term, yeah. but as
1: a mid- as a middle infielder, I can definitely see maybe adding him for a twelve-team, you know, as a speculative ad right now while he's hitting. But long-term, I don't have much hope in him. Maybe that'll maybe that clears up a little bit.
0: All right. Well. Uh, We've got some other lineups uh, that are just coming in uh, for some of the late games. Rangers lineup just came in. Uh, We've had the Mariners lineup for a little while. We've got to head to break, but we'll come back. We'll take a look at who's going to start for those squads and uh, then take a look back at uh, some of the performances uh, since the first pitch yesterday. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to the opening day edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Joining me today from FanRag Sports, Jim Finch. And uh, as promised before the break, uh, we have some new lineups uh, to peruse here and also a weather update. Uh, in fact, let's hit the weather first, Jim, because uh, that changed. I actually just refreshed uh, the, the browser here. Uh, I'm taking a look at the MLB weather uh, on rotor grinders with uh, Kevin Roth. And just before the break, I was thinking, oh, okay, it looks like, uh, you know, games are going to be pretty safe tonight in terms of weather. And the precipitation chance for the Tigers-White Sox game at US Harbor Field just went way up to 85%. So if you're counting on uh, Justin Verlander or Jose Quintana tonight, uh, that's uh, that's one you got to watch really closely. That's a 4 o'clock Eastern start. So that's uh, a little less than three hours away. But uh, in terms of some lineups that are out, uh, the Rangers, uh, they're going to be leading off Carlos Gomez, followed by Chu, Mazzara, Napoli, Odora, Lucroy, Joey Gallo batting 7th, Andrews 8th, and Profar ninth. I don't think there's anything really surprising there. And then the Mariners, this is one that's a, 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 I've already seen from some comments online, a bit of a, a source of consternation. Gene Segura first, Mitch Hanager second, which is great for him. Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seeger, fifth, Valencia sixth, Leonis Martin, seventh, Zunino eighth, and ninth, Gerard Dyson. So the thought of uh, you know a nice speedy one-two punch at the top of Segura and Dyson, that just might not be in the cards. There Uh, is that something that makes you uh, a little uh, takes a little of the excitement off the uh, opening day buzz for you with Gerard Dyson, or don't care.
1: Um, I, I really don't care right now. I mean, Hanniger, he's he's been hot, so they put him up near the top. I don't see that as being something that will last. As soon as he starts to, the flavor amount starts to cool down, I can see Dyson moving back up. So, for right now, just accept accept it for what it is, and cross your fingers. Figure in May, he should be back near the top.
0: Yeah, I, I you know I'd like to see that, but again, I like Hanniger too. Uh, you know, but uh, ninth, that's extreme. That's that's you know certainly not going to help Dyson, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on, on that because again we don't want to overreact to just one day's lineup. Uh, so let's go speak of one day's lineup. Let's go uh, to yesterday's lineups. Uh, saw some interesting performances. Now there were just the three games, but um, some some really extreme pitching, <laughs> good and bad. Uh, of all those performances, which one stood out to you most, Jim? Which uh, which one? Good
1: or bad, by the way? Probably the Tanaka one. I look for the bad because when first couple of days you have pretty much all the club aces on the mound. And Tanaka, that one that one surprised me. I mean, the amount of runs he gave up, a poor start altogether. I know he's going to bounce back, but it was just disappointing to see overall seven, eight, seven runs two walks, three strikeouts against Tampa Bay. I mean, that's, that's pathetic.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Tanaka of just about any pitcher, maybe aside from Taiwan Walker, I mean, he was somebody who really was opening eyes in the spring, really dominated throughout. And so to come out of the gate like that was a, a big surprise and a big shock. Uh, I read absolutely nothing into that. We see this all the time with uh ace type pitchers uh, on their, on opening day, or maybe even their first two or three starts. So it's a, you know, it's a big transition. Um I mean to me I'll I'll go the opposite route and say that the Carlos Martinez start uh to me really made a huge impression because like I said a lot of times there's a tough transition those first uh, one or two starts and Carlos Martinez came out of the gate and was just incredible seven in the third innings of shutout ball with no walks and 10 strikeouts. I'm not sure which one of those two numbers impresses me more because with Martinez, I certainly like to make sure that there's a, a sign of good control. But last year, took a step back in terms of strikeouts, but 10 uh, against the Cubs on, on opening night. Uh, that's, a, that's a great sign for him. And Granke, uh, you know, that was mildly reassuring in a way because... Uh, I've really been down on him. He had the, the really big decrease in velocity early on in the spring. That rebounded a bit towards the end. And uh, I think he was still averaging uh, around 90 Warner, so I don't have the numbers right in front of me here. But basically, less than a mile per hour below where he was the same time last year, which is not too bad. I mean, I don't think we should make a big deal out of velocity if he's – roughly a mile an hour lower than last year. That that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Did you take anything away from that uh, Zach Greinke start?
1: Um, the velocity, it, it can go either way. If it's a pitcher that's solely relying on his fastball, then, yeah, you might want to really read into the velocity. But overall, I think the problems he had last year, it just looks like they're carrying over to this year. His line yesterday wasn't that bad, but in a way, it's not that much different than what you would get from someone like Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray getting ups, more
0: strikeouts, which, actually.
1: <laughs> that's, like I said, minus a few strikeouts, but overall, okay. the line that's that's Ray like.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's you know, five innings, two runs, four uh, K, in five innings. That's yeah. I mean, it, it it's a very average line. I mean, you could have gotten that from any one of you know, probably 30 or 40 starters, right? It's 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 a very typical line you'd see, particularly for the first start out with just the five innings from, you know, a number three starter. So given how low my expectations were for Granke coming out of the spring, that to me is actually a good thing. Um, compared to our expectations for Granky, you know, a year ago, that's very disappointing. But, you know, given that's one start, at least it's something to build on uh, for Grinke. It was not, when it's not a disaster. And I think we'd be absolutely remiss if we didn't talk about uh, a Bumgarner who came out of the shoot with five perfect innings, um, eventually gave up the lead, uh, but still 11 strikeouts, no walks. And, uh, and by the way, hit a couple of bombs too. And I mean, bombs, not, <laughs> not uh, fence scrapers, but a couple of uh, big time home runs for massive bumgarner. So, uh, where where are you with him? He's obviously a must-start elite option, Bumgarner, but he was sort of neck and neck with Scherzer as the number two slash number three overall starter. Who do you like better going into this year, Bumgarner or Scherzer?
1: I like Bumgarner. He's got more consistency. I mean, Scherzer, he, you can look at his past numbers going back like three, four years, and you just see the progression where he was borderline average ace, and all of a sudden he went into ace mode There's more of a chance there for regression as we're Bumgardner. It's more steady numbers along the line over the years. I'd rather take Bumgardner. I don't see Scherzer bottoming out by any means, but I just think you'll get more consistency from Bumgardner.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll take the Scherzer side. And, you know, they both are fly ball pitchers that have really nice home parks to mask that tendency a bit. Uh, But I just I worry about that a little bit more with Bumgarner just because Scherzer, I do expect him to get more strikeouts, more swings and misses. I mean, it's splitting hairs. It really is. And when uh, I was at the point of the draft where, you know, second round typically where those twos were an option, it was a tough decision. But especially now that we know that Scherzer is going to be you know fine to start this week, I'll give him the, the slight edge there. but Let's go back to lineups for a second, because now we have the Indians lineup. And we have Carlos Santana leading off, Francisco Lindor, Michael Brantley batting third there. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think that may have been announced yesterday, so I don't think that's a big surprise. We've got uh, Encarnacion in the cleanup spot, followed by Jose Ramirez, Jan Gomes, Tyler Naquin, and then anchoring that Indians lineup in the 8-9 spots. Yandy Diaz, as expected, going to start at third with Ramirez shifting to second. And Abraham Almonte, I think there was maybe a little bit of a question there. I figured he would... Fill in for Lonnie Chisenhall, um, so Abraham Almonte getting that ninth spot. But I don't really envy anybody in that lineup because they're going to be facing you, Darvish. So, uh, how about I asked Greg this on yesterday's show? But do you have any interest in the Andy Diaz? He's had a, had an amazing spring. Could be in there for a few weeks uh, with Jason Kipnis out. Uh, is does he interest you at all?
1: Um, maybe in a deeper league it would, but overall, just a few week plug in kind of player. I really don't pay much attention to these guys. If it's going to be something like that, he's like you said, he's only filling in for Kipness, It's maybe two weeks. I'd rather look for a more permanent solution on the waiver wire than grab someone like him.
0: Yeah. And third base, um, you know, very deep. So while, even if he, too. Yeah, <laughs> even if he gets off to a good start, you've got so many good proven options there. Uh well let's let's move on to the hitters from yesterday um and we'll, you know we're getting a couple minutes away from break so we're certainly not going to do a comprehensive uh look at in this uh segment but I do want to go back to that Yankees Rays game because Kevin Kiermeyer arguably was the he, along with Logan Morrison was the star of that game offensively when two for three with a couple of walks, So he reached four times out of five plate appearances and he stole a base. So basically you saw Kevin Kiermeyer do the two things, or well, certainly you saw him do the one thing that you knew for sure he could do, which is steal a base. But with the two walks that, that to me is very reassuring that last year he really improved, uh, the, the plate discipline in the latter part of the season after uh, coming back from the uh, the disabled list. The part that, you know, still remains to be seen is whether or not he'll hit for power. But how do you feel about Kiermaier going into this year? He was kind of a trendy sleeper. Were, were you on that bandwagon?
1: Not really. He's one of those players that just kind of snuck up on me, and once I looked at him, I was scratching my head trying to see figure out what everyone else was seeing. I mean, the batting average halfway decent, not bad. He's got the he's got a little bit of power, maybe 15 20 home runs at top. 15 20 stolen bases in a good year. So yeah, the overall package is there, but if the batting average drops, if the power doesn't come through, you're basically looking at like a fourth outfielder for 12 or 14 leagues and Outfield, just like third base, is one of the deeper positions to where I don't know if that's someone you want to keep permanently on your roster or if you can do better.
0: Yeah. Well, I must have a little more faith in his stolen base upside. He did get 21 last year after missing about a third of the season. Granted, the year before in a full season, just 18. But I feel pretty good about Kiermaier clearing uh, 25 steals going into this year. I feel pretty good about that. The question... I think that you rightly raise is is the home run production. He did get 12 last year and, again, missing uh, a, a big chunk of the season and with a lot of that power coming in the latter portion back loaded. So if you could you know, make the argument that he hit a, a new plateau in his development or a new level in his development late in the season and, and it could carry over this year. I do think there's some 2020 potential there. So I, I agree. I mean, I think a fourth outfielder is – what you should expect Kiermaier to be, but I think there is the upside for him to do something more. And from a totally non-fantasy perspective, I made a a comment at some point, uh, I think it was on Twitter in the offseason, I thought that Kiermaier, if the Rays are good this year, actually has a chance to be MVP because of his defensive contributions. And if he continues the breakout that he may have started last year. And, and a few people said I was crazy for that, and I fully expected that reaction. But I'll stick to it. I'll stick to it. I think that uh, I think he's got a chance to be, uh, again, more so in real life than in fantasy, uh, a really elite all-around player. So, uh, like I said, a lot more to cover. That's just one team from one game from yesterday. So we'll take a look at the other games and uh, check back in on the action uh, from today's games right after this break. Welcome back to Fanrag Fantasy Baseball and welcome back to opening day here today with uh, Jim Finch. By way, I'm Al Melchior, your host, and Jim Finch from Fanrag Sports joining us for a little opening day analysis. And during the last segment, Things changed a bit uh, on the scoreboard. Uh, the Nationals went ahead of the Marlins on a uh, two run pinch hit home run by Adam Lind. I'll be honest, I kind of forgot Adam Lind was with the Nationals. <laughs> so he came in and pinch hit for uh, Steven Strasberg, who had a, a very nice uh, seven inning outing. Uh, so Nationals now up on the Marlins, three to two. Braves and Mets are still scoreless. And the Red Sox have exploded for five runs. And fueling that, a three-run home run from Andrew Benintendi. So, uh, nice performance there. And Rick Porcello working on five shutout innings. Uh, so, nice performance from him. And Colorado increased their lead over the Brewers to 4 to nothing. So, uh, some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, and got some uh, other games. Uh, Toronto and Baltimore now in the second inning. They're scoreless. And at the end of this hour, uh, we've got uh, four more games about to start. So a uh, fun, fun day for fantasy and just for baseball in general. So, uh, Jim, uh, let's uh, go backwards to yesterday. In Some of those games, we looked at the pitching performances. We talked a little bit about, bit about Kevin Kiermaier. But let's uh, shift gears over to um, the Diamondbacks and the Giants from yesterday. Uh, Eduardo Nunez with a very, very nice performance, 3 for 4 with a double and two stolen bases. I was a big old downer on Edward nu- Eduardo Nunez going into this year. I thought that what he did with the Twins was pretty fluky and that uh, you know he was going to have a bit of a come up in his first full year with the Giants. Uh, were you more optimistic about Nunez?
1: No, I was the middle of the road with him. I mean, like you said, he's never really been a full-time player before. Last year was his first time, and... He did go downhill with the Giants. He recovered somewhat in September, which gave you some hope i he's where he was going in drafts though people were taking a way too optimistic view of him being able to repeat and that is one of the main reasons I was cautioning to stay away from him. If you could have got him late as a middle infielder, I would have taken a chance on him, but for where he was going in drafts, definitely wasn't i I definitely didn't see him being worth. The price tag.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I'm inclined to agree with you. And, uh, you know, again, it's just one game, but a couple of stolen bases. I don't think of Bruce Bochi teams as being, you know, teams that run a lot. And I thought that Nunez might not have that, you know, that one really strong skill sufficiently exploited for fantasy purposes. Um, so that's, you know, that's interesting, but, uh, and, and I said, we're going to talk about this game, but I do want to hopscotch over, uh, to the Cardinals and the Cubs because 11th Diaz also had two stolen bases. And that was an absolute surprise. And I had been advising people to actually sit Diaz for week one because of some pretty nasty matchups. But the last thing I expected was for him to steal a couple of bases. Uh, uh, you know, there's absolutely no way to forecast whether or not that's going to be something that, uh, you know, will, will emerge for him this year, but Did you like Diaz uh, coming? In In fact, who did you like better uh, coming into this year, Diaz or Nunez?
1: Oh, usually Diaz. I mean, well, basically because uh, he doesn't have the track record. He doesn't have the blemishes on there. So where you can have a little bit more optimism when it comes to Diaz, I was still a little bit hesitant on him because I wasn't sure if he can repeat. But out of the two, I figured he had the best chance. And the yeah, stolen bases—that's yeah. that's
0: definitely a surprise. A <laughs> Big surprise, right? Uh, yeah, I I like the fact that Diaz. You figure even if the batting average regresses, and I do expect that it will, that um, he is a good contact hitter and and he's got some power. And I'm very skeptical about the the Nunez power that he showed for you know the first half or so of last season. But yeah, let's go go back to that uh, Giants Arizona game. Uh, AJ Pollock three for five with a home run. How how encouraged were you by that? I just to me that that just in a way it made me smile because I thought, okay good. Now, you know, now we know that that AJ Pollock, you know, he he can still hit for power. But I I was so afraid of him just not being fully healthy that I avoided him in every draft and auction. There was a part of me that was, you know, sad that I didn't uh, didn't take uh, a greater interest in Pollock.
1: I, I didn't avoid him to be, because of the injury. I avoided him because mostly I don't take outfielders within my first three picks unless I'm getting a shot at Mike Trout, which I never have a chance at Mike trout. so yeah. but otherwise, I like Pollock. It was encouraging to see the power, but I'm not I'm not totally comfortable until I see him actually play like two or three weeks. Consecutively under game conditions and make sure he's fully healthy. So it's an encouraging sign, but I'm not giving him a clean bill of health until I see a little bit more consistent play out of him.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you said that, Jim, because, you know, these first few days and really the first couple of weeks for me and, and you know, tell me if you feel the same way, they're, they're very frustrating for, you know, what we do in terms of fantasy analysis because, you you know, you've got, you know, today you've got one game to talk about for, for these players Uh, A week from now, we'll have, you know, six games to talk about, which is still not a lot. And even two weeks is not really enough, but at least you can maybe see the beginnings of some trends emerging. And it gives you something to talk about and speculate with with some, you know, a cluster of data there. But this is this is a very frustrating time because, yeah, I I issue the, the caveat, you know, don't overreact based on on one game and yet. Here I am trying to make a pronouncement about somebody after one game, so uh, yeah, do you find this a, a frustrating time to do do this kind of work?
1: Oh absolutely. it's basically you're basically it's an extended spring training now with April. I mean, we looked at spring training stats, we said don't take read much into them by the end of spring training, the pitchers they had maybe fifteen twenty innings where you can't get nothing out of it, but at least with the hitters, you had fifty sixty at bats, so you can make some sort of judgment on them, but now you're into game time situations you have different lineups pitchers are thrown a little bit harder so any of the spring training stats we had for some of these guys they're pretty much out the window so yeah you're going on last year's stats almost and hoping
0: but I think that's the right approach because at least you know you have you have a large end there you know you have uh you know a lot of a lot of at bats or a lot of innings to you know, base that on, uh, I'd rather go on last year. Frankly, I mean, I'd rather go on the two or three year trend than, than even last year, but better last year than a handful of games. So, you know, I don't want to become a broken record and, but there's an outdated reference by the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, offer the same cautions every time I talk about a player, but in, in a way, you know, you have to keep reminding yourself, okay, one game, one week of games, even just doesn't tell us a whole lot. um, so now that I've said that, let's freak people out. Uh, Noah Syndergaard has left the game against the Braves with a blister on the top of his middle finger. So that actually is something that uh, we will need to watch because uh, sometimes that blisters are an issue that can keep a, a starter out, you know, for for another start or so or two. So uh, not great news there for for Noah Syndergaard.
1: And uh, the people that own them like me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, Jim. Sorry to be the the bearer of bad news uh, that uh, is coming from several sources at the top of my Twitter timeline. So everybody's uh, wanting to know about that one. Uh, But going back to yesterday, um, go back to uh, Cubs Cardinals. Wilson Contreras, two for four with a home run. And it seemed like he was really right there, just kind of a step below what I think would now be considered the big three of of Posey, Sanchez, and Lucroy, uh, and even not necessarily in that order. I think some people had Sanchez third. But uh, do you see Contreras as being just on, on the doorstep of the catching elite, or does he have uh, a, a bit more to prove having not even played a full season yet?
1: for dynasty leagues I put him in the top 5 but for this year I assume there would be a little bit more growing pains some struggling with the average I didn't see big power numbers power numbers from him I figured maybe 15 18 at the most maybe in his prime be like a uh, Miguel Cabrera Miguel Cabrera um <laughs> Miguel Montero type uh, okay. catcher but uh this year I I didn't expect much from him other than a mediocre line possibly finishing in the top 12 so I it's a nice start from maybe it could uh, raise his trade value for him if you're worried about him but
0: Yeah no, I, I'm a, a lot more optimistic about Contreras and again you know Gary Sanchez you know I put him in the top 3 we all did uh, even though he has even less of a major league track record that Contreras does but he obviously made such a huge splash the last two months, last year. But Contreras, over the longer haul in the minor leagues, is somebody who shows that he not only has the potential to hit for power, but it's a rare combination to catcher that he could hit for average too. So it a, a very thin catching crop, I think Contreras was worth the speculation of, of going with kind of a higher pick uh, for him than, you know, the kind of the lower half of the uh, number one catcher pool with the, you know, the Brian McCann's and, uh, Yasmani and those sorts. Um, so it off to a good start, obviously. And, uh, I want to talk uh, a bit about closers cause we certainly can't, uh, talk about opening day without the collective closer meltdown that occurred. Fernando Rodney, uh, not a blown save or a loss, but two walks and two hits in one inning, uh, against the giants, uh, Again, Rodney probably one of the more maligned closers, so I don't think anybody was terribly surprised by that. But on the other hand, Mark Melanson and Sung Won Oh, two of the top, I would say, six relievers in fantasy. Both very bad outings. Uh, Melanson, uh, two-thirds of an inning, four hits, two runs. And Oh, uh, with a long uh, save attempt, one and two-thirds innings, uh, two hits, and uh, three runs allowed. Any concerns there?
1: Not really. I mean they were they weren't one of the top three. They were in the next bracket in the next three. They're Oh you, oh I can see people maybe having some concerns about because it was only his first year in the States, but overall with their stuff, it's one game. A lot of pitchers get shelled on their first game, first week of the season. I don't read much into that if it becomes a consistent problem over the next couple weeks, yeah, then maybe you might want to start looking for a backup. For, for one game, I'm just ignoring it.
0: Yeah, and as, as well, you should. Uh, but how it was surprising. I mean, we've seen closer meltdowns in the early days of the season. It, seemed, it seems every single year. But with Melanson, I mean, he has just been so steady that that was really shocking to me that uh, you know his first outing was such a bad one. But uh, I agree. Far, far too early. And I would see even a week in. It's far, far too early to uh, you know, pull the the panic button, uh, the panic alarm with, with any of these uh, top shelf closers. So, Jim, we got to head to our final break of this show. But when we come back, uh, I want to talk about the piece that you wrote on two-star pitchers and some of the pitchers in that piece that may still be relevant for uh, people that uh, have uh, lineups that they can still set. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball Opening Day Edition. I'm your host, Al Elfior, and with me today to break all of the opening day action down and the week one action ahead is Jim Finch, also from FanRag. And uh, Jim, as I've mentioned uh, earlier on this uh, broadcast, he's uh, got a two-start pitchers guide that's going to run every week, so the week one uh, guide is out there, and if you've got a rolling lineup lock, some of those uh, starters may still be Available to uh, to plug into your lineup. So we're going to talk about a handful of them. Uh, also, uh, Randall Grichick with that uh, promo uh, just before our uh, our uh, reentry here uh, reminds me we, we didn't mention him in the last segment and he had a nice uh, opening night as well. Uh, Grant, uh, Randall Gritchick uh, two for four with a home run. So, uh, Jim, how are you liking uh, Randall Grichick?
1: Didn't he start off hot last year and after about the third week people were he was starting to go downhill and by May he was on waiver wires everywhere. I mean Yeah and the AAA yeah, it's a triple nice A too. Start, but <laughs> it's a nice start, but I'm not I'm not getting my hopes up on him again. Fool me once.
0: Yeah, no, he's uh I I, ex- I expected to be very streaky and you know, he is that sort of uh you know, kind of uh, sell out for power type of hitter. So yeah, you know, he could have a great week one, a great April, and I still won't necessarily be sold on him. Uh, and and actually, I've already advised one person today with a question about him to uh, to test the market and see if he can sell high on Grichik. And it'd be kind of crazy to do after one day, but uh, you know people do overreact sometimes. So let's uh, take another look at the weather here because I sounded the alarm bells about the Tigers White Sox game that starts at four Eastern, four ten Eastern to be exact. And the chance of precipitation has come way down again uh, for that game uh, down to 31 percent. So again if you've got uh, some hitters in that game if you got uh, Justin Verlander or Jose Quintana, news just took a turn for the better there uh, but uh, keep keep our eyes on that one as well so we Jeb, 80% as I said
1: before this guy should be fired
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey well let's you know He's just the messenger. So, <laughs> look, I I live in Montana, where the, the the weather changes sometimes on an hourly basis. So, uh, and this is Chicago, and I you know I've lived in the Midwest too, so I know uh, that that's not uh, an unusual thing there for the weather to have these wild uh, these wild swings. Uh, but Jim, you did do this uh, two start pitcher uh, combo. Now, when does that come out uh, each week? On the, on um, it
1: comes out on Saturday, sometime in the afternoon.
0: All right. So yeah, keep your eyes out for that because it's a very thorough breakdown it, from the week one. It looks like you you actually categorize every single scheduled two star pitchers. That that's the plan going forward. Yeah,
1: that's basically what I did last year. I went through every two star pitcher for the entire week. So and I try I went into it Friday night trying to keep up with all the rain. You know, any kind of weather uh, possibility changes. So it should be fairly accurate every week.
0: All right. Well, uh, you know, it's an important resource. So be sure to check that out. Now, most of those pitchers, like I said, they're spoken for. Uh, Either their teams uh, played yesterday or they've already gotten their games underway today. But uh, there's a handful that uh, they're not going to start until tomorrow, that being Tuesday. And then they've got the second start on Sunday so uh if you're not happy with your uh your pitching options, uh you could still pick them up. And the and the nice thing is because these pitchers start tomorrow, if you've got a league where uh you've got overnight waivers, uh, you know, if you make a a claim right now, you could still plug these pitchers in tomorrow. For example, Tyler Anderson, uh who's got oh, and actually I take that back because the, uh, the Rockies are playing the uh Brewers, and actually that game is four four now. So Let's uh, scratch uh, Tyler Anderson from that list. But it's Asashi Iwakuma uh, for the Mariners, who open up uh, later against the Astros. Uh, Iwakuma starts tomorrow against the Astros, and then he's got a scheduled Sunday start against the Angels. Where do you have Iwakuma in your, uh, in your scheme of pitchers? I know mean, you have several categories.
1: I had him under started on wrist. Just, I mean, like we said, don't read too much in the spring innings, but 14 runs over 17 innings. And over six starts, that's less than two to three innings per start. There, he he needs to build up a little more stamina, gets get a little bit more game time in there. So, if you own him, give him a few more weeks before you even think about plugging him into your lineup.
0: All right. Well, I think that's uh, you know that's a good uh, a caution for Iwakuma, who was a little better in the second half last year, but. Um, you know, I think that's that's fair. And then, uh, you know, on the other side of the ledger, Lance McCullers will be starting against the Mariners, and has what I think is a very nice matchup on Sunday against the Royals. How do you feel about this week's matchups, and then the longer term picture for McCullers?
1: Um, I put him under questionable, but I also listed him as somebody that I probably would start out of everyone I had under the questionable tag. I mean, he had a rough spring, but the strikeouts were there and he's got everything it's just just the rough spring that he was having that makes me question him. I mean I like the stuff I like the strikeout potential but the little bit of rough little bit of rough outings he had over the spring makes me a little bit hesitant but not enough to bench him
0: yeah well he got a slower start than you know a lot of other pitchers too so it, it it's you know harder to get a read on him because the Astros were you know they're going to be cautious with his innings and and uh I would assume, although I haven't read anything to this account, but you know, maybe early on with the pitch counts. But with two starts, I don't really worry about any of that. I, I like McCullers a lot for this week. Uh, let's see. Sean Manaya, he's got the, uh, the Angels at home, and then he goes to Texas. How do you like Manaya overall this week, and do you worry about Manaya leaving Oakland uh, and, and going to some of those uh, tougher ballparks?
1: Um, yeah, I worry about him and Graveman. I mean, both these guys, they were decent at home, but on the road, that's, that's where I don't trust them. I mean, I know Texas usually, in the beginning of the year, it's not as bad. With the weather, it's a little cooler. You don't usually get the balls flying out until May, June when the weather heats up. But given the game at Texas and his road starts last year, I would only start him against the Angels if you had that option. If you have to set your, if you had to set your lineup for the week, then flip a coin. But if you have the option, play him against the Angels and bench him against Texas.
0: Okay, yeah, Now, I think that's that's certainly sound advice for this week. And I do worry a bit about about Minaya. uh even as a two-star guy, going to some of those you know tougher venues like um, you know ballpark in Arlington, which which by the way I think it's a little bit overrated as a hitter's park. It's actually been pretty neutral the last few years. But um, you know, for somebody who's flyball prone and you know against a, a very solid lineup, uh, I think that some some caution needs to be exercised there. And you could make the same argument uh, about Matt Shoemaker, uh, even more flyball prone. Uh, I think the Manaya. Uh, now, he's got that start in Oakland, which is nice. He gets to call uh, Angel Stadium home, which is very helpful to him. And uh, and that's where he'll face the Mariners. So do you like Shoemaker better than Minaya this week, given the, the matchups and the venues?
1: I do like him just because of the venues. And I have him basically below McCullers as far as the questionable group goes. I mean, he's got the strikeouts. He's got the matchups. Everything plays nice for him. It's just the rocky spring. That makes me question him a little bit. I would probably start him guns in my head if he had no other options. But overall, I, I don't see much. I don't. He's, he's a risk, but not that big of a risk this week to where you should bench him.
0: Well, yeah, I, I feel the same way about Shoemaker. I actually feel like he's, he's one of the more underrated pitchers coming in this year. Uh, and last one we'll talk about, Clayton Richard. Now the Padres are about to... Uh, uh, have their first uh, pitch against the Dodgers. So you may have your last window here uh, in a weekly league to pick up Clayton Richard if you have a rolling lineup lock. But uh, h- how do you like uh, him uh, against the Dodgers, uh, rather at the Dodgers and at home against the Giants?
1: I don't. If I'm in fantasy right now, I don't see any reason to start any Padre starter for the first two or three weeks until these guys, until we can actually see who's going to step up and who's really going to be what we thought they could be, which is absolutely nothing.
0: All right. Well, on that note, uh, Jim, thank you so much for the analysis. Uh, Hope you enjoy the rest of opening day. Uh, Stay tuned. The Pat Mayo Mayo Hour is coming up. Uh, We will be back on Thursday. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you then. And happy opening day!